0: You are Locked On Padres, your daily San Diego Padres podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Padres podcast, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day for Tuesday, February 22nd. And hang on to that date. Hang on to that date, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, as always, with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with some of my baseball-related work at places like Baseball FYI, Friars on Base, Off-Bench Baseball, or Just Baseball, to which I am a staff writer for. Follow me on Twitter, at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. That's a Twitter account for the show. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Padres your hashtag first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms and today's show guys i told you to to keep an eye on the date it is february 22nd february is what month the second month of the year right and the 22nd is the current day and what year are we in 2022 that's right Two twenty two 22 it is uh, very gimmicky it's silly i know in a lot of ways it's very arbitrary in a lot of ways but still uh we want to do we want to talk about this because this is a big deal uh the fact that this doesn't happen every so often Next this time this will happen is in 2033 is the next time this would basically happen guys and to celebrate this funny little date occurrence i'm going to be talking to you guys today about padres players that wore the number two kind of overlooking the franchise history past present ancient you know what i mean some of the guys that you probably haven't heard of and determine you know who was the best player to wear number two and just most importantly just going through all the players that were number two and i was actually surprised by how like a lot more interesting the Padres' uh, franchise history is, even if not necessarily their best players ever, War number two. Certainly, a lot of interesting players, guys. So we're gonna be talking about that and much more. Let's ride, everybody. The first player that I wanted to talk about that I saw when doing a little bit of research, and by a little bit of research, I actually I did a decent amount. I have been reprimanded before, ladies and gentlemen, for not doing enough uh preparation before a podcast. Preparation before a podcast. This time, I did do so. The first person that I came across was from 1969, so very early on in the Padres' franchise history, John Sipin. Hopefully, I'm saying that right, right. S-I-P-I-N, and look, the reason why I wanted to talk about him is he is definitely not the best player to ever play for the Padres that wore number two. Actually, arguably that if everybody I would be talking about today, the furthest from it, right? Um, but what's so interesting about him, and I learned, and I saw a lot of this from an article over at Santa Cruz Sentinel. The Santa Cruz Sentinel that was basically talking about his career in Japan. He signed with the Tayo Whales, currently the Yokohama Bay Stars, in 1972 and instantly became one of the best second basemen in Japanese baseball during the 1970s. And that's funny because he only played one season for the Padres. I actually don't have the one season in front of me right now. I should probably pull that up. And it was well, as you could tell, pretty unremarkable. I mean, he didn't do much. He only played one season with the ball club, had a couple hits and whatnot. Let me see if I can uh, bring that up right here. He had one season, he had two home runs, a .223 batting average, a two fifty watt base percentage. So this isn't even like, oh, you know, did he hit like two? No, he was just not a very good baseball player. But then he becomes somewhat of a sensation over in Japan, not just because he played well, but because he became like a fan favorite. And actually just for in terms of the, let's talk about the stats right he played his best season in 1975 hitting 34 home runs and 82 ribbies with a 295 batting average and also won the japanese golden gold, golden gold golden glove award and he was the first foreigner to be awarded the golden glove how about that the first foreigner to ever be awarded that award uh in japan that's pretty pretty nuts he was eventually traded to some other teams the yamuri giants in 1978 hit over 300 in each of his seasons with the giants retired in 1980 um it's just interesting because he gained a lot of popularity because of his look his hair his beard right they gave him nicknames he had these extravagant outfits and whatnot And people just kind of, uh, you know, took a liking to him. I mean, if you just go and look up the pictures of this guy, uh, you would see that he's just, he's kind of crazy. And it was interesting in the kind of piece over at the Santa Cruz Sentinel, him just talking about how, like, as a foreigner there, like, he didn't necessarily talk to many people. You know what I mean? Because he didn't understand the language. Obviously, he eventually started to learn some of it. But, like, at the beginning, he kind of just, like, hung out and didn't really speak all that much. But he became so famous that he said that he had to go to restaurants and, like, just look at the wall. Right? He would, or not look at, yeah, I'd be mean basically look at the wall. He had to go to the back of restaurants because he was so recognizable in Japan. And it was so like interesting to see a forwarder kick an ass over the Japanese Baseball League. So this is just such a funny thing because his career with the Padres, completely unremarkable. Completely right, completely unmarkable, but this is a guy who had a, a crazy lifestyle in terms of his clothing, in terms of his look, and he was just a great player, he got into fights on the mound and all this stuff, he was a sensation over Japan, so Shanta Giant uh, Sipin, Sipin, hopefully I'm saying that name correctly, as definitely one of the more interesting guys, that's war number two in Padres history, Um, but that doesn't mean he's the only one that we have to talk about, alright, let's be very clear guys, another one that I found was Johnny Grubb, who was basically just a solid player. Right? He played under, now here's the here's the kicker for th- something that's the most interesting about this, he played under new manager at the time, Don Zimmer. You might have remembered that fellow uh, for if you're a Yankees fan, which I grew up a Yankees fan for people who are to this podcast, so that was definitely a fun little uh, note to pick up there. And in 1974 um, was kind of his, his best season. Of all Padres who qualified for the National League batting title, he led in... Uh, batting average 286 on base percentage 355 a 758 um, OPS um, he was pretty good and that year New York Mets manager here's another name for you Yogi Berra selected Grubbs as an all-star reserve and the Padres is only representative for the game in Pittsburgh and is only at bat he popped up to shortstop a he popped up to shortstop. I'm saying that correctly. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little loopy right now, and part of the reason I'm a little loopy, by the way, I spent like an hour trying to get my wordle. Like, look at this for all my YouTube listeners. I have four yellows right now. Anybody who's watching, like, that you've probably already figured out the world, but I I am an idiot. But anyway, um, he popped out to shortstop, and that was who was pitching, Oakland hurler and eventual Hall of Famer Catfish Hunter. How about that? That's a fun little uh for Padres fans or what have you. So. Look, um, not that remarkable of a career overall, but just a solid guy, uh, Johnny Grubb, uh, for the Padres who wore number two. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you want from me? again? Not as remarkable as Bishop Johnny Sippin, but still a solid player. And Grubb, I mean, I know we all think of Grubhub when you hear that last name probably right now, but nonetheless, great name great name if I do say so myself, before we talk about some other guys, and this is when we get into a little bit of the more polarizing figures, and maybe even just uh, it, it, the more complicated figures that have wore number two uh, in Padres baseball history, so so we've had some weird quirky fun ones with Sippin, but we've also had some, some ones that were a little bit of a problem, guys, and longtime Padres fans, hardcore Padres fans, probably know one of those guys that I'm going to be getting into, but before we get into that, I need to talk to you about something that is a controversial that isn't polarizing not even one bit not even one bit not one bit best protein bars that you can get ladies and gentlemen they are of course the built bars what i love about them is look i go back and forth with new year's resolutions but this year i'm committing and that's because built bars have helped me out whenever i have that sweet tooth urge guys you got to try them out they've even got built bar puffs which are kind of like they have like the energy of like almond joys almost except like better you know what i mean I, i don't know how to best explain it but those are really good um check out the macros on these things most built bars contain 130 calories four grams of sugar four net carbs and 17 grams of protein compare that to a candy bar which usually has 240 calories 30 grams of sugar and dozens of net carbs so they're healthy for you you get it, all right? We get it. They're protein bars. I mean, that's the whole point of them, right? But they also come in a great variety of flavors. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. This month, they've got the white chocolate cookies and cream. They've got cherry barcia. They've got eggnog and ginger for the, it's in honor of Christmas, which I know was a long time ago. But even still, if you're still in a Christmas mood for whatever reason. But they have all these flavors that come out. That's what I love about them the most, guys. So what are you waiting for? Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order remember this promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com but one more thing guys i want to talk to you about rock auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models it's now impossible flat out impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need but thankfully you have computers you have phones with access to rockauto.com. Guys, save time and money. Why would you spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, Honda Odyssey Fuel Pump, it costs $353 from your local chain store and only $216 from Rock Auto, guys. I mean, what more do I have to say? They're, they're, you know, I could tell you how easy to navigate their pages and that they have everything you want, but the cost is the biggest, biggest selling point. I know you people. I know you Padres fans. You guys are smart. And smart people use Rock Auto, guys. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Greatly appreciate that, guys. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Woo-wee! I think I I put a little bit of effort into those, right? I think I did pretty good on those. I'm not going to lie. Not not to flex on Maine or anything like that, guys, but I think I did pretty okay there. Um, Of course, guys, as always, thank you for making Lockdown Padres your hashtag first listen every day. Free and available on all platforms. Let's get into more of them. Let's get into more number twos in Padres history. The next person who I alluded to a lot, I talked about this guy a lot, and I remember when I did an episode on this team, that he was one of the subjects of it. And he was one of the subjects because, uh, like, a mini-documentary that I watched talked about the team and talked about this player specifically. That was Alan Wiggins. He was part of the 1984 Padres, which is widely regarded as one of the best Padres team ever. Um, Granted, I know that when you look up... uh, What's it called? When you look up um, the 1984 Padres, you don't exactly find like crazy, crazy numbers offensively. It's really just, you know, again, it's not all that um, impressive when you just look at the numbers and what have you. And Alan Wiggins was kind of one of those guys that was supposed to really help be a big part of the offense. Obviously, you had Tony Gwynn, of course, Mr. Padre, but. The big thing that happened with Alan Wiggins, despite all the talent, was he had a lot of personal problems. During his major league career, he struggled with drug addiction, and that resulted in a litany of arrests and suspension from baseball. Um, he actually, because of how poor his off-the-field struggles were, and I don't want to demean them because addiction is um, a health thing, and it is a, it's, it's a sickness, it's really sad, um, he actually was traded by the Padres in 1985 to Baltimore, where uh, he ended up spending three seasons, and then after baseball, he was diagnosed with AIDS, and he was the first MLB player known to die of the disease. So not to be super like, I'm I'm trying not to be a super downer. Let me be very clear. I'm not trying to be so much, too much of a downer, but like Alan Wiggins is kind of like that, that um, the black sheep is is a little bit. Um, an oversimplification of it, but the black sheep of that 1984 Padres team, which just has so many good vibes to it. Everybody that has said they had the swagger, go look up, like, I don't remember what it was called because this was like two years ago. Long, long, long time listeners of the podcast might have seen, um, seen this. I did like a time machine viewing the 84 Padres, one of the best teams in Padres history. But, um... You know, I did an episode on it and there was this like mini documentary. I don't know if it was on ESPN or whatever, but it was like really, really fun. It was only like 30 minutes that kind of just talked about this team and they had a swagger. Right. And it was what can I say? Like it was really a lot of fun. They ended up losing in the World Series to I actually don't remember. I actually don't remember. I'm blanking on that right now. They lose in the World Series to the Detroit Tigers, it looks like. Yes, they lost to the Detroit Tigers four one. This is when oh, that's right, hold on, let me find him, let me find him. Goose Gossage was on this team, right? And what I, I loved making fun of Goose Gossage because Goose Gossage has been one of those like get off my lawn personalities when it comes to uh The modern major leagues like he's always dogging guys. He's I'm pretty sure he's dogged like Bryce Harper before. He's probably dogged a bunch of players who have bat flips. I've hated on Goose Gossage for a long time and he actually blew a game um, in the World Series, which is one thing I talked about in the episode. But yeah, um, Alan Wiggins, very unfortunate, very unfortunate. So there isn't a lot of great history all the time, not just in terms of statistical prowess, but in terms of literally like that number two jersey is a little bit cursed in Padres history because Alan Wiggins was a great player. He had a lot of a lot of potential. You know what I mean? I think that himself, and then I know that some people have told me Khalil Green, uh, which is a little bit more modern of a player. And we're getting into modern players in a little bit. Uh, it's just Padres who just couldn't quite put it together on the field and seems to have just had some personal problems, with obviously Wiggins being kind of the biggest one there. But of course, it's not all down, uh it's not all a doubter. Just let me pick you guys up a little bit. Uh, and what better to pick you up with a speedster? Bip Roberts is the next person that I want to mention that I found out wart number 2 for the Padres. He was a very very fast player. Uh he finished 8th in MVP voting for not the Padres though, the Reds in 1992. They actually traded him, which is very very unfortunate um with Bip Roberts, but and he had like a decent stretch in Cincinnati and then um he re-signed with the Padres in 1994, and did manage to have a decent kind of stretch there. MLB best 24-game hitting streak that season. He would finish second in the National League in singles. And on top of that, here's a fun little history thing for you. You guys have heard of this dude before. He broke up Pedro Martinez's extra-innings perfect game with a double in the 10th inning. How about that, guys? I mean, that's just... See, this is what I love about baseball history is just finding players that I haven't really heard of that eventually just, like, connect to something that I've heard of, and one of those is Pedro Martinez, widely regarded as one of the best pitchers ever. Some people think he might be the best pitcher ever when you take into account, like, the fact that he pitched at the height of the steroid era, and he was still, like, I think it's ERA plus or something like that was, like, 300, like, it's something broken, right? Like, he's one of the three, five best pitchers probably in Major League Baseball history, according to most people, Right. But yeah, Bip Roberts overall, though, just kind of a solid player. I mean, he had a decent on-base percentage, too, which is what's interesting. Yes, he was a speedster. And when you think of speedsters today, you think of Billy Hamilton's, you think of Adalberto Mendeziz's, you think of another guy we're going to be talking about a little bit. I don't want to spoil it for you. But these guys who are speedsters, but then they never get on base, right? And that was not the case with Bip Roberts. 333-400 in his first technical appearance for the Padres. 301-391. In 1989, 309, 375 in 1990, 342, 340, oh, hold on, 281, 342, that would have been pretty nuts, right? Uh, 281, 342, and then eventually uh, he he leaves and then comes back to the Padres, like he was a really solid hitter. He is, His most stolen bases that he had in a season was 44 with Cincinnati, um, which was, you know, like I said, pretty incredible. He was a speedster, but a solid player. And it's funny, I actually saw like a couple videos on Black History Month stuff with him um, that was really, really cool, just him talking about growing up in Oakland and just what it was like being surrounded by some, some shady, not-so-great figures, but they looked after him because they like saw that there was potential in him, so they don't want him to get caught up in some of the bad stuff. But it just goes to show you, like, players come from all sorts of backgrounds, right? And they go in all sorts of futures, as we saw with Mr. Sipin. Uh, Sipin. At the beginning, like everything, so many different directions in Padres history. Um, And I imagine same thing goes for a whole lot of other teams. Next person on the list, though, that I want to mention before we get into some of the modern players that people might be familiar with is Jody Reed. uh, Second baseman on the 1996 Padres, which I also did a breakdown of back in the early days of the pod, kind of around the time when I did the 1984 Padres breakdown. Um, And this team was great, but it didn't make the World Series, the '88. The 19 or I'm sorry, the 1998 Padres made the World Series, ended up losing to the Yankees because they were just a buzzsaw for the latter half of the 90s. Like they just nobody could beat them. Uh, but 1996 was a really great team. Steve Finley, Ken Caminetti, all those guys, some solid pitching, and Jody Reed. I mean. Uh, he wasn't that great. He's only kind of memorable for the fact that he was that second baseman on that '96 team that released for a podcast. I did I did the breakdown of the team. You guys can go look that up. And also, it was the year I was born, uh, and he wore it number two uh, for the Padres, which was very cool. Another one, by the way, if you're curious about that '88 team, Andy Sheets uh, was the middle infielder for the 1998 Padres, which was all, which was the World Series team number two as well. Uh, So that's very cool. Yeah, that that 96 Padres team was just awesome. Steve Finley was good. Ricky Henderson was on that team with a really strong on-base percentage, but just didn't not get enough runs. He didn't have really enough power. He was just walking a lot. Ricky Henderson, just like, we need more fun history on Ricky Henderson. You know what I mean? Because everybody only thinks of him as a speedster, but really he was like an all-around player. I know he was a speedster, don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I just feel like we deserve more about him. But you know what else we deserve more of, guys? We deserve more on the modern players who wore number two in San Diego Padres baseball history. But before we get into those folks, let me just quickly tell you about bet on the line, guys. Football might be over, right? Hopefully you enjoyed the Super Bowl. I thought it was a pretty good game. But basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to, you know, I don't know where the next head coach, where the fired coach is going to land next, all that type of stuff. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs, remaining the number one spot for a while now. They're just, they're just the best, and I've been talking about them forever. And of course, not just basketball, best place to go for hockey, boxing, UFC, Olympic coverage, whatever you're looking for, they got it, guys. Head to the website today, or use your mobile device. Bet online, where the game starts. was a very good slurp of water that i just took for all my youtube listeners or i always say that i always say youtube listeners instead of viewers listeners are for audio viewers are for video Hobby v and v right it's just you you would think i'd get this down by now but whatever guys let's keep it moving let's talk about some of the more modern players this is where i was like okay all right i became a more hardcore baseball fan maybe around like 08, 09, 07, a little bit earlier than that. But I follow the Yankees, obviously, as I mentioned earlier in the pod. So this is around the time when I start to at least recognize the games a little bit more. If you're from old school, unless you're like an all-timer, like your Pedro's, like your, um, your Ricky Henderson, who we talked about before, like your Tony Gwynn's, I probably don't know too much about you. But when it comes to the modern guys, there has been some Padres that have worn number two. And here's the first one. Here's a name. Here's definitely a shout out for for Mets fans, if I'm not mistaken, because Mets fans had a whole kerfuffle with this guy, because if I'm not mistaken, he kind of fell off for them when he joined the team. I'm just looking up. Yeah, he kind of fell off for them. It is Jason Bay. Jason Bay for the Padres. He was a Padre but only for a second. He wore number two. Two days after his debut with the Padres, he suffered a broken right wrist after being hit by a pitch, which is unfortunate because in his first kind of game, he hit, like, a home run and all this stuff. He had, like, a nice debut for the Padres. He was traded along with Oliver Perez and Corey Stewart for Brian Giles, though. So, you might think that this ends poorly. But actually, he did net Brian Giles, who was a great player. Um, Some people even said, like, a fringe, like... He he, like made the made it onto the ballot. You know what I mean for Hall of Fame. But like, he was a pretty good player. And Jason Bay also ended up a great player. So I got nervous when I saw the Padres traded him away. But actually, they did get something good out of him. Um, Solid stint with the team, even at 32 years old when they acquired Brian Giles. He finished ninth in MVP in 2009, which featured a 119 walk season. Pretty good for Mr. Brian Giles. So so Jason Bay is more of a legend for number two for the Padres because of what he netted the Padres and Brian Giles, right? So that's kind of cool uh thing to note uh when it comes to Padres history. So hey, every now and then the Padres make a good trade. I know we're all saying that the Padres are a mess and they don't know what they're doing. Every now and then they do something right. Now some could argue a broken clock is right, you know, twice a day or whatever, but still, nonetheless, it is pretty cool. Another person that war number two for the Padres is Kerry Robinson. And let me be clear as a player, nada, there isn't all that much. That's important here, but he's known for a couple of distinct feats. This is what I was looking up on, on online. He pinch hit in the eighth inning for Mark McGuire in the 2001 NLDS game five, which basically was the last moment of the sluggers career, which is very interesting. He's the only MLB player in, hold on, he is the only player in MLB history to wear both the numbers double zero, the 1999 Cincinnati Reds, and zero for the 2002-2003 St. Louis Cardinals at some point in a career. That's uh, that's kind of cool. He was featured in a book, uh, it's just, which is pretty cool too, which was by, um, what's what's uh, let me see here. Um, it is implied that he might, what, what happened to my computer? My computer just died. Alright, but anyway, um it talked about his relationship with Tony La Russa, which was really messed up. Tony La Russa is a player that and now coach that a lot of people are probably familiar with. So he's known for a couple things, but that double zero zero thing is kinda of interesting. So but otherwise, I don't even bother reading the slash line for this guy. He did not do anything for the Padres whatsoever. Next up though is Edgar Gonzalez. Another player that did not have a remarkable stint with the Padres, guys. He was only the sixth player in franchise history, though, with with an RBI hit in his first career plate appearance and first since Kevin Higgins in 1993. So that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, like, for daily fantasy and, like, those, like, if you do, like, something where you're betting who will get a hit maybe for that, the beat the streak thing that ESPN does, like, I like to pick prospects on their first day. You know what I mean? Who make their debuts. I love doing that. And it doesn't even have to be a top prospect. I love doing that. Uh, but anyway, Gonzalez made his debut at 29 years, 333 days old, making him the second oldest player to make his debut for the Padres. The first being Akinori Ots- Otsuka at 32 years old, 84 days old. So, known for a couple stats, but otherwise, like I said, not a remarkable Padres career. The next person to wear at number two for the Padres definitely had... He, he shined bright at one point, and that's B.J. Upton, otherwise known as Melvin Upton for Padres fans. He, um, look, when you look up some of his kind of numbers, his stint with the Tampa Bay Rays, he was awesome with the Tampa Bay Rays, actually. If, I'm, if I can pull up his fan graphs, he had a couple, like, six war seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see if I can find that really quickly. Um... Let's see, BJ Upton. But his his tenure with the Padres, this is around the time, guys, when he was with the Padres, when I actually started following them. But it was in 2015, which was basically the last time he became anything resembling relevant he gets traded from the braves to the padres after spending a couple seasons there and then every season before that with tampa but with tampa 2007 he had a 4.5 f4 season and then the next year 4.8 f4 season then 2.3 3.9 3.8 3.4 he was a key like kind of like that like that engine that background piece that you don't always think about because those t- uh mid-2000s Tampa teams had Evan Longoria, but he was a really solid player for them too and very consistent until he just kind of dramatically just fell off after going to Atlanta. And then with the Padres, he produced a... 1.5 F4 season, which wasn't as bad, batting 259 with a three twenty-seven on base and 429 slugging. I always, though, will remember Melvin Upton slash BJ Upton for when he got into a fight with Evan Longoria in the dugout because that was just wild because you don't see that all that often. Um, And that was even worse than the Tatis Manny Machado one because that one looked like people had to really hold him back. You know what I'm saying? That one looked a little bit worse, but hey, maybe I'm just being a little bit too biased on our Padres' favorite guys. Um... And then we have two players left, guys, that have number two for the Padres. And unfortunately, one of these two is another one a little bit along the lines of Alan Wiggins. Thankfully, it didn't end quite as poorly for him. But in terms of just the overall talent and just having some off-field problems, there are similarities. It is Everett Cabrera. He had high potential but didn't really pan out. I remember actually drafting this guy in fantasy baseball, and I hadn't really heard of him before before. I think that I saw the name Cabrera and I thought it was Melky Cabrera or something like that, who was someone I was familiar with as a Yankees fan Um, growing up. um, Everett Cabrera was fast. I mean, he was incredible when it came to stealing bases. He led the NL in national, he led the National League in stolen bases in 2012, but overall, uh, I mean, didn't really have as much of a stint as people thought. I mean, people thought he was going to be the next like kind of, Um, star shortstop for the Padres and he really didn't turn out to be that um, which is kind of you know unfortunate in a lot of ways but he did have an all-star season in 2013 where it was a legitimately good season by the way Um, I mentioned earlier that most speedsters these days seem to be these guys that like can swipe 50 bags but they can't do anything else right which is it's just really sad. Like, I wish that speed was more part of the game. I wish the stealing bases they made it easier, actually. Because I think watching stolen bases is so much fun. But um, in 2013 with the Padres, 283, 355, 381. Not the best slugging slash line. Uh, and he did manage to swipe 37 bags. Year before, he swiped 44. Like I said, led the NL in stolen bases in 2012. He was a fixture in fantasy baseball for those two years, basically. And then kind of promptly fell off, right? The season after that 355, 286 or 283, 355 slash line, I should say, 232, and then 208 the next two years on base percentages outside, or I should say below 300, and he ends up getting moved to the Baltimore Orioles where he didn't do too much, and then his career was kind of over. But instead of... It's not just that the expectations and the talent didn't pan out. It's also that he had some struggles, led the Nash... Hold on. He uh, had a domestic violence charge in 2012 and also was arrested in 2014 on DUI marijuana. The domestic violence charge was dropped, but the DUI thing, uh, driving under influence of marijuana, was not. So again, Everett Cabrera, a little bit of a troubled player off the field for sure. And also on the field, did not pan out, I think, as a lot of people had hoped. Which is unfortunate. So both him and Alan Wiggins. Alan Wiggins seems like it was a much worse situation for sure. That one was really dark. Again, I recommend everyone going to check out that documentary on the 84 Padres. But Everett Cabrera, man, did it it turn out too well? Don't get me wrong. The Padres got a little bit lucky with the shortstop position a few years later. Let's be very, very clear here. Uh, We've done pretty all right so far. But the last person on this list... You know I had to talk to him, talk about him at some point. It is Sir Trent Grisham, the person, the fella that everybody likes. He has the flipping the double bird thing that I can't do on video, uh, that made him kind of famous on Padres Twitter. Walk into the dugout, the batting glove thing, the no batting gloves, the way he swings the bat, the swagger that he brings when he holds up the fingers for as many home runs he has. He has the swagger. He's got the juice. Has he lived up to? Maybe some of people's expectations, including my own. No, not necessarily. He did have a little bit of a rough year, but so did the rest of the team. And it's funny because Trent Grisham, if he performs well, and I think that he has the talent to do so, I think he has a great eye at the plate. While he does strike out a little bit much, he's got a decent amount of pop, he can run the bases, and he's got really good defensive skills if he can get a little bit better in that department. I mean, if he hangs out for a while, it's not impossible that Trent Grisham could go down as the best number two in franchise history. Granted, is that saying too much when it comes to all this, right? Because when you look at this, this ain't no Yankees, you, you know, where they have Derek Jeter. This is a team that has Jimmy Fox or Roberto. Was Roberto Alomar number two? Nah, I don't feel like looking it up. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but not at that degree. But the Padres, like, he could end up being the best number two in franchise history. Um, for now, to me, I think that it goes between Bip Roberts or um, my guy. My guy, Johnny Sippen, for the most legendary number twos, all right? Because Bip Roberts had some really cool moments, really good on-base guy, just a solid baseball player, and a speedster, and then Sippen because of an incredible Japanese career, including literally winning the first, as a forwarder, Golden Glove Award over there in Japan. So I just think those are the two most remarkable ones. But uh, overall, yeah, not too much craziness with the number two in Padres history, but still a lot of cool stuff, I think, to be found. So hopefully, you guys enjoyed... uh, me nerding out. Professor Reyes, right? Do a little history lesson for all you folks. But before we get into the future of this podcast, guys, because I've got some really cool teases that I want to do, you made me your first listen. Now make your second listen. Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. And Also, give uh, go shout out. Uh, my guy, Lindsey Crosby, who a couple weeks ago, we did a podcast crossover on Mackenzie Gore. You could listen to that episode, but he actually gave me this idea for the 222 uh, 22 thing, uh, which is so shouts to him. Go listen to his podcast. He's doing so much fun stuff over there. Seriously, he's killing it in Lockdown Only Prospects. But in terms of the future of this podcast, before we wind down, um, on Friday, I know that usually my schedule has been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but this week because of the date thing, um, And because I did a podcast on Friday with Stacy and Abby over at Lockdown Yankees, changed up a little bit. But Friday's episode is going to be fun. We're going to be talking with my buddy Colby Olson, a staff writer and analytics folk over at uh, Just Baseball, the site that I write for. And we're going to be talking about fantasy and specifically fantasy baseball when it comes to Padres players. Who's getting overdrafted? Should Tatis go number one? Where should Manny Machado go? Is Trent Grisham being underrated? What should we do with Padres fantasy players, right? That's going to be a super, super fun Nuri chat for all my fantasy fans. And I imagine a lot of you guys... Fantasy still translates to real life, right? It still does in a lot of ways. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um going to be talking about Trent Grisham finally next week. Probably going to be doing that. My overall episode on him, what they need from him heading into 2022, because I actually think that he's one of the most important players the Padres need to do well. Planning a bunch of other uh, crossovers and whatnot. Lindsey Crosby may be back to talk about C.J. Abrams for some more prospect talk. That one should just be all good vibes too, because C.J. Abrams has so much uh, hype and potential, I think, according to a lot of experts. And then also, happy to announce that uh, I may there may be some uh, plans in the works to talk to actual Padres players. A name that rhymes with Slevin Mops. Did that Was that a decent enough rhyme? Yeah, that rhymes with his name. It's in the works, guys. It's in the works. So look forward to all that and much more, guys. But that all being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast. The only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno or at LO underscore Padres. Check out the show on YouTube, Lockdown Padres, if you want to see my beanie and my Bullworth Academy shirt, which is a little bit Padres. Uh, colors, I must say. And until next time, stay safe, and of course stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.